I'd like you to take your Bible and we turn to Luke chapter 5. Begin reading at verse 17. By now some of this chapter is getting more familiar because we've gone through it a few paragraphs at a time. And uh, we're looking at the part about Jesus meeting with the tax collectors and sinners. But before that, let's just get a sense of Luke 5, verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down, let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And here's the scripture that we're focusing on. And after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi came, or gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let me read that last line. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. After the sermon, we're going to be singing hymn 15. Comfort, comfort now my people. Congregation loved by Jesus Christ, what's the most controversial thing that Jesus ever did in his ministry? It's probably this, eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Why is it controversial? Well, it's obvious God is holy. God is set apart from anything impure, unholy, sinful, You know that? Everyone knows God hates sin. 
How about Psalm 1? Remember Psalm 1 verse 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And if there's anything we need to hear these days is warning the church about worldliness. All the world has come into the church. With all the technology nowadays, we've, don't you find yourself walking in the counsel of the ungodly? How often aren't you standing along the path of the sinners, sitting with the seat of the scornful. Pastor, we need more sermons on the holiness of God. Be holy as I am holy. That's God's word. Who's asking for a sermon on Luke 5? Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. The Son of God, the Son of Man came from heaven to earth to eat with tax collectors and sinners. Isn't that just opening a can of worms? Isn't that just going to say God loves sinners? It's playing into the world's hands of inclusivity and diversity, equality. No one's asking for Luke 5. We better read Luke 5. You see Jesus Christ here, you see the very heart of God. You see a definition of true love. And if you don't watch it, it's easy to cherry pick all the texts that teach a particular slant on the doctrine of holiness. Maybe that's your gift this morning. God is holy and you have a certain way of understanding that. It's certainly a a religious gift that the Pharisees had. In fact, 2,000 years ago, the word Pharisee was not a dirty word. Just think of the history of the Apostle Paul. He used to be Saul. He used to aim to be the best of the best, the most glorifying person, the one who would glorify God. He would be the Pharisee of Pharisees, so familiar with the Word of God, so big on holiness. Keep yourself and from anything and everyone that is unholy and unclean and impure. You know what they needed to see? You know what we need to see this morning? Picture this. Picture Jesus Christ, God's own Son, come down from heaven, from God's exalted throne. Picture perfect holiness come down to earth, making contact with planet earth. And Jesus Christ, picture this, Jesus walking with some disciples on some dusty road in Galilee. He's got three or four at this time. Fishermen. And Jesus has just called Levi, a man at the tax collector's booth, to come and follow him. This is going to be our first point, that Levi character. Jesus Christ is close to him, probably within six feet sometimes. Verses 27 to 28 says, After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Many of you know this stuff, but I'll repeat it. That Levi is a tax collector. Maybe you've heard of Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. 
in the same line of work. And I'm just repeating what some commentaries have said, that the Romans, they taxed the people heavily. And the way Rome got their tax money very efficiently was using Jews to do the dirty work of collecting money from their own people. The Jews were less likely to kill one of their own Jews, but it was a temptation. Because every tax collector was both a traitor and a thief. The Romans had given them room to charge extra. Those tax collectors could charge as much as they wanted. They lined their pockets using the money from their own people, and they did it for the Roman government. I, I heard an older preacher compare this to sometime after the Second World War. There's Nazi collaborators, those who had sold their own people to the Germans. And after the war was over, imagine you, you knew somebody who had been a Nazi collaborator, but there was not enough proof, there was no trial, there was no conviction. Every time you saw that person, they made you sick, mad. What they had done to their own people. Now think of Levi. Along comes Jesus up to this tax booth, this office where he works. Follow me. So what if Levi, that, that traitor, left all to follow Jesus? He is that kind of person. So this is the first point. You've got to stop right here and see if you've gotten a sense of what's going on in this chapter. Why are we told this right now? Because what you've heard from Luke so far, he's been detailing this well-researched work of Jesus' ministry, Luke. Is he the Son of Man, the Son of God? Is he holy? Because if he's the Son of God, he has got to be holy. Is he set apart from all that's evil and unclean and impure? Is he far from sin? And so you have a walkthrough. Chapter 4. The Spirit leads Jesus, the Son of God, into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. That's like in Satan's territory for 40 days. Has he picked up any uncleanness hanging around in the wilderness? In Satan's temptations? Jesus then enters the synagogue. That was chapter 4. He nearly gets thrown off a cliff. Then a demon confronts him. Jesus enters more synagogues and homes where he meets more demons and fevers and sicknesses. Would you ever expect this, that the Son of God touches down on the earth in this way? Behold, the King of Kings. Uh, where's your purple robe? Where's your crown? Where's the gold? Where's the throne and the sapphire pavement underneath your feet that we hear about in the Bible? So before you get to Levi, we're being shown something of how real Jesus is. And here's chapter 5, the boat. Remember the boat story? The monstrous catch of fish? And Peter falls down at Jesus' feet. What's on Peter's mind? Depart from me, I am a sinful man. You hear that holiness going on there? He gets it, Peter does. He was caught not taking Jesus seriously. And he falls before his knees. Next in chapter 5, it's the man with leprosy. 
And if you know something about leprosy, it's the teaching that sin and unholiness goes below the surface of your skin. You're unclean below the surface. And Jesus, you remember how he reached out and touched the leper? And he was made clean. Hold that thought. Because next we've seen a paralyzed man get lowered down through the roof. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven you. You are now clean. Holy. Righteous. Pure. Blameless. So what's the thrust of Luke to this point? Where Jesus is, where Jesus is coming in, unholiness has a fit. Uncleanness backs away. Sin becomes extremely uncomfortable. And this is the kingdom he's been preaching. The kingdom he's preaching is people get clean. They straighten up. They become strong. They become healthy. They're now in their right mind. You want to see holy? Watch the kingdom of God come. You want a sample of paradise, a taste of heaven? Watch what happens when Jesus comes closer. And he walks up to Levi. Follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. To be fair, your Bible should have a little heading over this that says, the miracle of Levi's calling. Because every time we've had Jesus speak, we've had a miracle. Why is this not called a miracle? Follow me. And he follows Jesus. Maybe it's just too short. doesn't have all the glamour of a normal miracle. But we should have some backstory here because we're reading Luke's gospel. Chapter 5, Luke loves to use, by this time, if you've been scanning the chapters, Luke loves to use the names of the 12 tribes. A few commentaries point this out, and I believe it, that Matthew and Levi are the same person. Matthew and Levi, the same tax collector. But take note, if Luke is going to have a preference, he would say, you know his name? Let's go with his nickname, or let's go with the name that some people use, Levi. So that you connect a few more dots. You connect him to Aaron, the priest, the sons of Aaron. Let's go down that road a little further for a second. Because you can't say Levi and not think of temple. You can't say Levi and not think of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. You have to be thinking holiness and purity and consecration being cleansed. Follow me for a second. The name Levi, that whole tribe name has history. The name means joining, bridging together, unity. And of all the tribes, this one, the tribe of Levi, would stand in the presence of God, bringing God in unity with the people. And he would stand 
for all 12 tribes, as divided as they would be, they stand for the unity of 12 tribes. These guys are joiners. They bridge. But now the main point. What has holiness been meeting? How about this? Where has holiness been meeting unholiness? Can you think of a place in the universe where cleanness meets up with uncleanness? All right, more precise. Where does the most holy God meet with sinful creatures? And you say, no, it can't be. It's wrong. Nothing bad shall ever come near God. But you've heard of the Old Testament tabernacle, right? And you've heard of the Old Testament temple. Because there has been this proclamation I want to be with you. Emmanuel, God with us, with us. I want to come near you. I'm committed to draw near. I will make contact. And the Old Testament temple declares, you don't have to be perfect. I make you perfect. All you have to do is come near. Draw near. Enter. Come with faith in the blood of the Lamb. That's been the Old Testament message. Come with the blood of the Lamb. Because it's right here where you are forgiven. It's right here where you're made holy. You're washed. Luke chapter 5, you leper, you leper, all you do is come. You paralyzed man. You didn't even come. You had people bring you. You have been brought. Never mind the obstacles. Come, all you unfaithful. You know that hymn. Come, all you unfaithful. That's been capturing the message of Luke. Because if you've come, you've come to the one who makes you faithful and clean. Now, here's Levi. Remember Levi? A man with the name meant to serve as a joiner in the holy priesthood, uniting 12 tribes before one holy God. That's his work, his line of work. But you see him, no, he's, he's in a tax booth. Specifically, I'm not making this up, collecting taxes most likely in that location for Herod the governor of Edom. The Edomite. Just think of the backstory there. You don't get worse than Levi. And Jesus approaches. Comes toward Levi, who's in the tax booth. And uh, again, this is about the backstory there. No doubt, being in Capernaum, Levi, growing up in the same town with Peter and Andrew and James and John, Levi has no doubt heard of Jesus by this time. Maybe heard him preach from where he was. But who is this Jesus? Jesus says to Levi, follow me. And the miracle. The Holy Spirit of God comes upon Levi. 
What's happening? Uncleanness and sin flees from Levi. His hard heart is made soft, made of flesh again. Cleanness washes over him. Holiness takes over Levi. And you get this simple line. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. But do you see the miracle? The temple of God. Jesus Christ, the temple of God, has just come walking right up to Levi. The temple took Levi in. Made him holy. That's the first point I'm bringing. The miracle of Levi being cleansed. Do you follow that? Because now we're going to get into Levi's friends and associates. Levi's co-workers. That's our second point. Verse 28 says, So Levi left all, rose up, and followed him. All? Everything? Well, Again, we have this mathematical problem that we like to be absolutely precise and all the rest. This does not mean absolutely all. Not absolutely everything. It's all his stealing, deception, corruption, his sin, and his old job. Turn to verse 29. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. Notice this. Levi left all, but still has this monstrous house. He left all, and he still has the full contact list in his phone. This is how he holds a great feast. A banquet for Jesus Christ. Right? Do you see that? Then Levi gave him a great feast. It's to honor the Lord Jesus. If Levi has a head table, the highest, the most important seat in the house, he'd say, all right, this one's for the Lord Jesus. He is the honored guest here. And it's really important to see what the Pharisees see. To know who are the people Jesus associates with. You have to know what bothers the Pharisees. Is verse 29. See what they see in verse 29. He sat down with them. Can you tell the posture of the Lord Jesus? This is important because we've seen Jesus sit when he's preaching. We've seen Jesus stand, but we don't have those words. Literally, the Greek word says Jesus reclined. He is now lying down. And it's how they did meals back then. Not like us when we sit up and we're at a table. It's what they would do on a couch. If you were a Pharisee, now I just have to imagine this large home. Levi would have had one of these large U-shaped homes with an open courtyard. This is not the first time that you have witnesses going by. Pharisees could technically be outside, passing by, but looking through the courtyard and close enough to see and hear what's going on. And they would see Jesus in this position. Nearly relaxed. I say nearly relaxed because that's going to be the bottom line question. You read this and imagine the seating layout. Every one of us has to imagine something, fill in the details. 
Imagine the best case scenario that Jesus has been seated at a place where his disciples are somehow isolating him from the tax collectors and sinners. They surround him, his disciples, like a buffer so he's not close to the tax collectors and sinners. Maybe that's the best case scenario. And now it's imagine it's a banquet with a no, no games night. No board games, no pool table. Imagine it's that kind of. Imagine there's sm- no small talk either. The best case scenario. Only Jesus does all the talking. He has the microphone. He's in charge. Everyone else is listening to him the whole night. That's the best case scenario I could come up with. But you know why that doesn't work? Because the Pharisees are seeing it for us. They are bothered by what they see. If Jesus Christ were holy, if he were the Son of God sent from heaven, he would not be this close. And he would definitely not be reclining. He would not be eating and drinking either. Didn't we hear him say something in John 4? It's my food to do the will of my Father? Or how about in the wilderness? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does it not bother you that Jesus is eating and drinking? He's supposed to be working. And this is the point. The Pharisees, they're seeing it honestly, the way you and I would. The Pharisees probably wouldn't get all too bothered if Jesus was standing and openly calling these tax collectors and sinners to repentance in the public, like, repent now! John the Baptist kind of way. We don't mind that kind of calling to repentance, do we? But this couch thing, reclining, that's a problem. Eating and drinking in fellowship, that's a real problem. Verse 30 says, And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, Take a message to your rabbi, to Jesus. Why aren't you a little more selective about the company that you keep? Why choose Levi for a disciple? Have you no discernment? Why are you reclining anywhere near Levi's former work associates? I want to finish off with the second point here with a question. Are the Pharisees holier than Jesus? Are they more set apart from sin? More set apart to the Lord than Jesus, the Son of God? And I'm asking you, are you holier than Jesus? Because we have to think about what holiness means. If holiness is weak, if it's fragile, if holiness is like a flame, a candle that can be blown out, yeah, the Pharisees are right. 
But have you not seen the ministry of Jesus Christ? Demons are whimpering when he comes close. Fevers fleeing, fish are flopping, lepers are healed with a touch, sinners forgiven. You see this kind of holiness, a moving temple of holiness. One that's pushing hell back. And it's bringing in heaven. Look at Levi's house. A house full of tax collectors and sinners. With whom does Jesus associate? Let's go to our third point. The sick and the sinners. Verses 31 and 32 now. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Have you ever just sat in the waiting room of a doctor's office for the fun of it? You know, the waiting room area? Maybe there's some games or magazines or something to kill time. Have you ever sat there in the waiting room of a doctor's office for the fun of it? Luke, who writes these words, he might have smiled at this being a doctor, and he probably had an office like that, and he's like, I've never seen that before. People sometimes hang around a doctor to get some help, maybe free advice. There are two kinds of people in this world, those who need a doctor and those who don't. And now Jesus explains what's been going on. Why did the tax collectors and others come to a great feast at Levi's house? Why did they come to this feast for the Lord Jesus? This dedicated feast in honor of Jesus. They were not feeling so well that day. That's why. Not their bodies, but their hearts, their soul. They were not feeling so well. They needed a doctor, a spiritual doctor, one who could touch their unclean hearts. And why were the Pharisees outside keeping their distance? Because they were healthy, they thought. They don't want to be around sick people. It's contagious. Sounds quite simple, right? Those tax collectors, those sinners, they are sick. They know something is not right. They have a conscience. Whatever they do know, whatever they have heard, it's one thing. Jesus Christ is the one to see. He has been gentle with uncleanness. He has been gentle with what is unholy. He has reached out and touched what is impure. And now you see at this feast, all those sick people lying down on their couches, eating and drinking. Are they relaxed? Nearly relaxed, maybe. How comfortable are you on your way to the doctor? Or in the waiting room for your appointment at the doctor's office? What you can't see, what no one can see, is the heart. You can't can't tell if these guys are nervous. 
You cannot tell if all their small talk and their laughter and their shop talk is just a cover-up for what's in their hearts. Fear. Fear of meeting the Most Holy One. You can't tell that they're eating and drinking maybe comfort food because they're about to see the Lord Jesus. One thing your Lord Jesus sees is they have come to Him. They've come here. No one has come to me yet, Jesus says. No one has come to me yet for the fun of it. Demons tremble. Uncleanness flees. Sins take off. And those tax collectors, they are fidgety. I am not feeling well. I need some help. Now we have the grand finale. What Jesus says to the Pharisees, He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's way easier to understand if you use some quotation marks or say, I have not come to call the so-called righteous to repentance. Those ones, (laughs) the Pharisees, they're good. They're healthy, they think. Why have I come? Imagine you've never read Luke. And I ask you, why did the Lord Jesus Christ come? To save sinners? Uh, You might say, to die on the cross for our sins? Look at verse 32. Why have I come? I have come to call sinners to repentance. And you do a word study. What is the most important word there? The verb, the call. I've come to call. And sure, it could be a kind of call, the, the, the shouting kind. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He could shout. But what do you know from Isaiah 42 verse 2? God's servant will not shout or cry out. Or raise his voice in the streets. He walks up to Levi's office. Remember that? How loudly did he shout. Follow me. I have come to call sinners. Levi. Come. The sick and the sinners. They come knocking. Or he goes to them. People are brought to him. There's a whole crowd now in Levi's house. The first good kind of crowd we ever encounter. The crowd Jesus loves. And Jesus Christ is calling them. In what posture? Did you notice his posture? Look at our great physician at work. Look at Jesus Christ. Healing. Calling to repentance as he reclines. Between bites. Eating and drinking. Like it's something he does during a mealtime. Now some closing words. There's a lot in the Bible about the company we keep. Some of the psalms we were singing. I can find passages like 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 listing all sorts of unsavory types of people. Avoid such people. 
You will find that in your Bible. You know the point there? A lot of people are not hanging around Jesus. A lot of people drift through life. And if you're one of those drifting through life, you hear the Lord Jesus first of all come up to you. Follow me. That's the beginning of holiness. You're hearing Jesus Christ call you to repent as if you are Levi still at a tax collector's booth right now. And he says, follow me. You hear Jesus. He says, how can you just chill with your tax collectors and sinners, your media influencers and evil people around you all the time as if you have no sickness? As if you have no sin. You know, Jesus is not condoning sin for a moment when he comes to Levi and says, directly and personally, follow me. He says that to you. On the other hand, the other kind of sinners are the Pharisees. And the Lord Jesus has no joy for them. His heart is not with the Pharisees and scribes. They are too good for Jesus, too holy, too pure, too righteous in a so-called way. I want you to ask this. Am I too good to go to Jesus? I can understand other people need it. They, they can scramble through crowds. They, they could open the roof up. But me, I'm okay as I am. No, you're not, Jesus says. Hopefully, you come to Jesus, the temple of God. Hopefully, you come like Levi and his buddies have come to him. You come for good news to the poor, the helpless, freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind. Do you come to him so that he scares the sin out of you? Uncleanness, impurity. Do you come to him again today and tomorrow so that he would call you to repentance? For this reason I have come, Jesus says, to call sinners to repentance. That's my kingdom. As my kingdom advances, you see heaven approach and you see, oh, your old nature is pretty nervous. It's breaking into a sweat, isn't it? Your secret sins are trembling. But your new nature in Christ loves this. I'm coming. I'm following you. My bags are packed. And now John 17, verse 17. Jesus says in his prayer to the Father, I do not pray that you take my disciples out of this world. I have you where I want you. Among tax collectors and sinners. I have you in this world where I want you, Jesus says. Think about why we're here. Think about all those people who need to be called to repentance. You know people. It doesn't take much of a list. You think of family and friends and people at work and school. Maybe you have a few acres and never bump into your neighbors. But there are a lot of tax collectors and sinners available in Grey Bruce. 
if you make time for them. And don't get thrown off. Some maybe shout slogans at you while they're dying on the inside. None of us can see their hearts. But Luke 5, what's Jesus saying? Don't be scared of sinners. Don't despise sinners. Don't avoid sinners. Remember, Jesus Christ is your temple. Jesus Christ is the temple of God, the most holy place, the holy of holies. If you are in Him, if you're consecrated by the blood of the covenant, you too are holy. Be holy as He is holy. How is that again? The advancing, moving, marching, cleansing, purifying holiness on two feet. That kind of holiness. Be the kind of holiness that sits down to eat with tax collectors and sinners, knowing that your guests are are probably not mostly at ease. They're in uncharted territory when they're near holiness. So call sinners to repentance in love, in patience, in gentleness. Only when you can see the whites of their eyes. Only when you've been praying for them. Call them to repent. Let's have more people come to Jesus Christ. Let's hold feasts in His honor. And get people to come as they are. Tax collectors and sinners are welcome. Because Jesus came to save and to heal. Come to Him. Amen.